Welcome, friends. On behalf of the Presbytery of San Fernando, I am delighted to have you as part of our regular conversations. Our Presbytery is a community of churches and ministries that is seeking to be part of Christ's mission with faithfulness, joy, humility, and courage in the northwest part of the Los Angeles area and beyond. I hope that you enjoy this dialogue. Please feel free to learn more about us by visiting our website at sfpressby.org. Thank you so much for listening. Well, hello, hello. Welcome, everyone, to the PSF Strategy Virtual Vita. It is March 22nd, and we have the fortunate honor to have some great guests with us here this afternoon. We're going to be talking with Randy Working and Dia Jenkins, and we're going to be working at the intersection of justice, art, and the church. So my name is Nick Warnes. I'm on the Presbytery staff. I'm the director of Cyclical Los Angeles. And it's my distinct honor to welcome Randy and Dia. Randy and Dia, can you uh, appear for us here on the screen? Hi, Dia, how are you? Hi, Randy, how are you? Very, very good. Thank you, it's great to be with you. Also doing well, thank you. So you both are exceptionally qualified and gifted artists. We deeply appreciate that. We also deeply appreciate your care for the church and your desire uh, to move the church toward not just a new normal, but a better normal as we come out of COVID. And we know that arts and justice has a big part of that. So before we get into that, though, can you introduce yourselves? Tell us a little bit about what brings you to this conversation. Dia, you want to go ahead? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Dia. I am an interdisciplinary artist. I do everything from the visual arts to performance. I have a background in filmmaking. It really runs the gamut. Just about everything except for sculpture, uh, except I'm making my way there too. Wow. Um, I, <laughs> I currently um, have a creative agency, small business called Dia Studios, and we are just developing creatives to work at this intersection of art, faith, and justice. Uh, we call it social healing, actually. Um, and I'm originally from Houston, Texas, but I currently live in Pasadena, California. Yeah. Well, special mm -hmm. welcome to you, Dia. Thank you. Randy, tell us about yourself. Yes, well, I'm, um, I'm a pastor in our presbytery and serve at a church in, in Acton as well as uh, in Lancaster. I'm a visual artist and uh, I have done work in theology and culture and um, was able to do my, my PhD at Fuller working with uh, Bill Durness as we talked about Nick and just I'm so grateful for the intersection of, uh, of his gifts in the area of uh, culture, of the French language, of, of uh, the visual arts in particular painting and his work was in uh, Georges Rouault in mine and in the work with, um, with the Huguenots, the uh, French Protestants of the 16th, 17th century and uh, how they expressed their theology through architecture and through various arts. Um, I come from a family that's, uh, I guess you could say we're, we're bicultural or, or multicultural, but uh, I'm married to uh, a Swiss woman who is a friend, native French speaker from Geneva. Uh, my brother is, uh, who is a writer living in Chicago and he's trying to express these themes of, of, uh, of faith and art and the, in the church and justice. 
uh, a terrific writer, and, and he's married to a Russian woman. And so we've got a Russian branch to the family now. And my, mm -hmm. um, my nephew is married to a Russian woman that he met in Beijing. And um, even in my family of origin, we have uh, one brother is uh, Korean, an adopted brother, and one brother is Vietnamese as well. So we've kind of got a cultural mix in our own family. And uh, one of my brothers, uh, my Vietnamese adopted brother, is a visual artist also. And one of my natural born brothers, he's an artist that creates uh, works. All of his works are about um, uh, the biblical story, the biblical narratives. So he does uh, powerful work sort of in a primitivistic and Matissean vein. So um, we, we find a good energetic mix there. It sounds like it. it sounds like you have all sorts of practical narratives to bring this conversation. So I look forward to hearing about that. <laughs> a little side note on me, Dia, I don't even know if you know this about me. Um, my master's in divinity had an emphasis in worship, theology, and the arts through the Brem Center at Fuller. So I was saying to Randy earlier, I feel like I know just enough about art to understand that I know nothing about art. So personally, <laughs> I'm very excited uh, to hear from both of you, especially for how the arts can be used for the purposes of the church and uh, for, uh, what was it social healing, he said, Dia? Social what, healing. What, yeah, for social healing. So let's get into it, shall we? Um, how about art? What makes great art? I know that's a wide question and I know there's millions of perspectives on that, but from your perspective, what makes great art? And are there like certain necessary qualities for art to be great? Dia, why don't you kick us off here? I was hoping you would say Randy go first. <laughs> it's a hard <laughs> question. <laughs> um, I think off the bat, art is very subjective, right? So anybody can find beauty in whatever appeals to them or find meaning in whatever appeals to them. So on one hand, there is no quote unquote criteria for great art. And then on the other spectrum, there absolutely is a criteria for great art, right? Um, so for me, um, I am always looking at something that's going to allow me to go beyond just my everyday ordinary kind of space, something that is transcendent, we love to toss around that word in the church, um, something that doesn't necessarily have to connect me to um, a sense of spirituality, even though usually for me it does, but just the sense that something deeper is at work, um, anything that is incredibly um, skillful, and um, aesthetically beautiful, I find appealing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's art. So it's always um, a question of, is it doing something beyond the ordinary? Is it doing something even beyond just design? Because you know, art and design aren't always necessarily the same thing, even though they can overlap. Um, so for me, that matters a great deal. Um, I think you really enter into the word great, when you're talking about great art, when you have a subject matter that is um, both um, accessible and recognizable, but also um, hints at the mysterious. So something that goes beyond just what you're able to put into immediate words. So it's like a, something that will draw you in, something that makes you continue to question, continue to ask um, what else is here, not just about the artwork itself, but also um, whatever's going on inside of you that's connecting with the piece. Um, and that can cross any sort of medium or genre for me. I, I remember Dia, um, we did a visual divina, mm -hmm. like a kind of a knockoff of a Lectio divina, a visual divina <laughs> um, at some, mm -hmm. some conference that you and I were doing together. I think it was in Canada or something. And uh, I experienced uh, exactly what you're talking about through a piece of art that you did 
you provided that. And I remember my family had, we just gone through a difficult time. We'd gone through a miscarriage mm -hmm. and that piece of art was just so revolutionary, so healing for me. Um, so yeah, thank you for, um, for, for not just like leading so many artists in, in the ways that you do, but also for creating art uh, that has been healing as, as for me personally. Thank you, Thank you. How about for you, Randy? What, so great art, just a small question. Yeah. Uh, what, what makes art great? Well, uh, first of all, I love your response, Dia. That that was uh, that was really helpful for me. That uh, I'm I'm thinking in terms of uh, maybe some of these ideas I got from Jeremy Bagby, who is uh, a theologian, and he's worked more in the area of music, but uh, he has talked about the themes of uh, home away and home again, and so it's sort of. Uh, beginning from a resting place and then a sojourn, a journey in response to some kind of a, a call or a crisis. And uh, I think about this in terms of uh, lasting art has to echo three great themes of creation, fall, and redemption. I think about this in, in terms of our Christian story and commitment. And in a way, those are analogous to the ideals of goodness, truth, and beauty wherein God created the world and declared it good. And the truth of this world now that was founded in goodness is that it's marred by sin, that there's brokenness. And the most beautiful image for us now is a paradoxical one. It's the image of the cross. And uh, ordinarily, we'd say that's, a, that's an ugly image of a man suffering and, and being lifted up. But uh, as Jesus says in the Gospel of John several times, if I, the son of man, am lifted up. I will draw all men to myself. So the image of a cross with a dying savior on it becomes a paradoxical image of beauty because it's the greatest act of love that uh, the world has ever seen. So I think uh, lasting art without lasting power has to recognize the, the intrinsic goodness and order and uh, complexity of the world, but also that that's been uh, disjointed or marred by sin and yet God is intervening in the world. He's done that at the cross and continues to do it. So maybe that's my starting point in uh, looking for art that has transcendent value and art that's lasting. I don't think every work of art has to include these three uh, components or elements all the time, but through the course of an artist's body of work, for it to really achieve transcendence, it ought to echo these, these themes that are resonant within creation itself. I appreciate that and theological foundation from which you spoke there, Randy. And, and you are uh, a pastor as well. You're also a Presbyterian pastor. And I think you're wise to know that Presbyterians are good at some things. And we're also not good at many other things. One of the things where we haven't necessarily excelled as Presbyterians is uh, in, in the world of the arts and how the art intersects with the church. So for the purposes of framing the conversation, I'd, just, I'd like to know, like, let, let's start with art, which we just did. Let's begin to intersect uh, ecclesiology or theology of the church here. And then let's move at intersecting those things with justice. So Randy, um, and your understanding of Presbyterians and our history uh, with art, which I'm maybe less interested in for the purposes of this conversation, I am more interested in for our, our listeners who are many leaders in the church. How can uh, ecclesial leaders better, I don't know 
what the word is. I don't want to say utilize necessarily, but better implement arts into the life of not only the church, but hopefully into their neighborhoods and beyond. Uh, terrific. That's a, a very pertinent question for us in the life of the church. I, I believe that a recognition of the goodness of creation, it, it's related to the idea of beauty. And we in our tradition have held, I, I guess, that it's, it hasn't always been articulated, but we tend to have a, an instinct that beauty is a, a dangerous idea in art. Beauty inspires us. It elicits our love but it also can confuse and seduce. And I think at times the, that beauty has been worshiped as the highest artistic value, but it's also in our tradition been denigrated as, a, as a, almost a pagan temptation. And in the art world today, it's treated by the mainstream as a feat or passe, or maybe even a con. And the problem with this is that it makes uh, much art irrelevant to the people, to the church, because beauty is everywhere and it entrances us. It beguiles us, whatever your idea of beauty might be. So I think that even as art reflects the, uh, the fallenness of creation, and maybe we're more alert to that possibility within the reformed, uh, within the reformed tradition, but we ought to not dismiss its power to uh, not only to, to teach, but also to uh, capture our imaginations. And uh, it ought to reflect not only the, the brokenness and disorder of creation, but also uh, the power of redemption. So I think in our, um, in our tradition, for instance, in Switzerland, you can go into what is traditionally Protestant country, and you might go into a, uh, you might go into a Catholic church, uh, let me think in the canton of uh, Fribourg or a place like that. And you go into a Catholic church and it's uh, maybe a Baroque church that's gilded and ornate and filled with art and icons and paintings and uh, even incense. So it's, uh, it's affecting all of our senses. And you might walk right across the street to an old reformed church and you go inside and it's barren with whitewashed walls. Maybe if that church dates from prior to the Reformation, they even painted over, plastered over uh, the, the uh, paintings and, and, um, and uh, broke out the statuary. And you can still see places, niches where that's been done. So there's been sort of a stark view of a church that's artless and uh, disregarding the power of art. Or maybe it's, it's too uh, suspicious of art's power to uh, entrance us. There are even stories in the Reformation about uh, people several generations later that will go into a country church that is, uh, or a city church, I suppose, but a place that has uh, been reformed for maybe 75 years or a, a century. And they will go in by the door and genuflect and touch the wall on a blank space in, in a place that uh, historically, there was some kind of icon there. So that's captured the people's historic imagination, even though there's nothing left. So in, in the church, I believe that that leaves a, a space of opportunity for us to reflect, um, as Diaz said, and reflect the transcendent, even in a place of, uh, of reformed worship. So uh, we can talk about ways in which that might happen practically, but uh, maybe this is a good place to pause.
Yeah, I mean, for me, it feels like it's a, it's a question of, of natural theology and how does God reveal God's self, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm, so kind of my focus in a lot of my professional life is on the missionary God and the, and the God that sends and the God that uh, sends God's self uh, through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus. Uh, so that ultimately lands on how does God reveal God's self? So Dia, I'm wondering on uh, what you think about uh, art, the church, how God reveals God's self to humanity through the arts or distracts, the, or is it the case where art can distract from God revealing God's self? So this is one of my favorite questions to answer right now. I love this question about the arts and the church, um, just because a lot of the work that we're doing right now is at that intersection, right? So there's a lot of tension for contemporary artists um, who, um, have a faith practice, you know, they're following Jesus, but maybe they also want to be taken seriously, quote unquote, in like the contemporary art world, right? Because just as Randy was saying, um, there is a tension in terms of uh, the kind of art artwork that you're making and then also the um, the aesthetic of it, the quality of it. So is it is it beautiful? Is it um, grotesque? Is it shocking, you know? And sometimes with the contemporary art world and the church world, those um, sort of measures of quality, measures of um, uh, a credible art um, differ at times. And so a lot of artists in the church have this, this tension, right? Um, but the thing is, it's like what we're trying to help artists to do is to, um, to kind of ride that line, not saying that you have to be one or the other, because what's happening is that um, you, you'll take like a really great artist um, in the contemporary world, but they don't want to say they're a Christian, you know, because it'll immediately um, place them in a category that they don't want to be part of. But then on the other hand, if they were to go into the church and do the kind of artwork that they feel compelled to do, um, it's not welcomed. They don't have a place to show it or it's not understood or it doesn't fit within like a traditional kind of um, Sunday gathering sort of format. And so they feel like they don't have a home in either place, right? And so we're helping them to figure out um, one, how to create your own spaces if need be and invite people into the spaces, but also um, how to um, develop language that will help you to go into both of these places, places. Because to get to your point, Nick, about God revealing God's self, especially through the arts, I, I'm very biased, but I think um, the arts are one of the most natural ways that God does do that. Because if you think about the God that we serve, it's, it's <laughs> God's capacity for breaking us out of our traditional molds and our traditional ways of being. Um, That's exactly what God is about, right? Like stretching our capacities, helping us to think beyond our little small containers, right? God is doing that all the time. And what better way to do that but through the arts because the arts aren't necessarily supposed to fit into these neat categories, right? And there are some people who would say that um, if you can easily um, quantify a piece of art and if you can easily label it, then it's not doing its job, right? Um, it's supposed to be something that is a little bit nebulous, something that goes beyond just traditional definitions and boundaries. And so I, I see God doing that all the time, but the question becomes, can the church recognize that? Is the church realizing what a gift artists are bringing to their body? Um, yes, for beauty, I think that's important, but what about the artworks that aren't so beautiful, but they're meant to call about the things that are a little bit ugly about us as a whole, right? As a society, like they're meant to showcase those sorts of things and they help us to get to the, the difficult parts as well, because there are times when um, maybe a difficult conversation needs to be put on the table, but people don't quite want to address it, but a piece of art will allow you to enter into that conversation 
Um, it will allow you to speak about things that are otherwise way too challenging to bring up an ordinary conversation for some people. And so it's doing that all the time, exactly what you're saying, God revealing God's self, but is the church listening? Is the church willing to recognize this form of God, you know? So I love that question all the time. So on, on a practical level for both of you, um, how can we as, as leaders of the church, I think not only support artists, but support the arts uh, in our churches for the purposes of the mission of the church and for what God might be doing in the neighborhood in which the church finds itself. Do you have any good first, Randy? <laughs> so um, one of the key ways, especially if um, the leaders are pastors in the church is just to give your artists a space to actually lead. And um, something that really frustrates a lot of artists is when, um, people will come to them and say, I need you to make this kind of thing. It needs to be exactly like this. And I need it to be da -da -da -da, exactly within this parameter. Don't go outside of this bounds. And it's like, that's not, for a lot of us, that's not art making. You're asking for something that's more like um, technical and, and specific to a vision that you have, which is understandable. But at the same time, it means that you're missing something. Part of the artistic practice is that you don't quite know what something is going to turn out to be like and leaving room for a little bit of that mystery, a little bit of that um, room for the spirit to breathe in ways that we ourselves don't even understand quite yet, right? I, I always say when people ask me about my art practice, um, I think of it as like a form of speaking in tongues because I don't really know what I'm going to be creating. Like it's definitely a conversation between God and I, and I'm just, trying to listen anytime that I'm creating something. Okay, Lord, what are we doing? What are we making? And I don't know until I have completed the piece and I can step back and I can ask the Holy Spirit, okay, what, what is this? You know, what is it that we have made together? And so for church leaders to be able to give their artists a chance just to exist in that space and not quite know what's going to come out and be okay with it is a great gift. Also offering um, practical resources like um, space to make things also, um, Funding, if you have it in your budget, give a little bit of a room for arts, you know, so that they can make something and do it without the strain of having to do something for you, but also like live, basically. <laughs> Sometimes people will ask artists to do um, different projects that they don't want to pay or they don't want to pay well, which doesn't make sense, right? Like, why not value um, those creative gifts that you have in your midst? That's another way. And then also, um, there's so many different ways you could do this, but it's really, um, it all boils down to just giving them leadership roles and letting them take the reins and to create and giving space for them to showcase it and to talk about it a little bit and to offer feedback and let it to, um, let a partnership grow and develop because artists have um, a different way of seeing things. They may not fit in the traditional sort of format and schedule that you have, but I promise you, they're going to add a great deal to what you already have going on if you just give them room to do so. Yeah. I, I guess if, um, if I could, one thing that occurs to me is that uh, art has place for those who are especially gifted and specially called. Uh, it has the place for the expert, but it has a place for uh, the expression of the people too. And I would think that there can be a good synergy and uh, if we give opportunity for for um, artful play within the church and for people to create and invite uh, them to participate you might even have people that I've done this in retreats and sometimes in conferences and 
uh, maybe uh, an artist at a potter's wheel and creating in front of the people. And uh, we've maybe seen, uh, most of us have seen somebody painting during, uh, during the preaching event in the church. And I think uh, opportunities like this sort of draw people in and uh, release, release their creative juices. And I think that adds to an appreciation of, of the arts in general, of those who are particularly called for, uh, for creating and doing art. I remember uh, when I was the pastor of Northland Village Church, uh, we used to always do uh, communal art projects together during liturgies. So we would typically finish a sermon, uh, serve communion during a time of communion, we'd set up stations around the room for people to go engage. Was anything from, you know, I remember uh, fruits of the spirit and there's like different colors that represented different fruits of the spirit on these strings. And we, they're like fixed like yarn strings and we would put them together and it turned into like a, like a blanket-ish thing. And then I would take a little bit of the string and wear it around my wrist for the, for the week to remember patience or something. So that was really meaningful. We created our baptismal font together. Um, and you wanna talk about the opposite of uh, experts doing art. I mean, this thing literally looks like it was done by four-year-olds as we made this thing together. <laughs> but literally dozens and dozens of people were baptized uh, with this bowl over the years, really special kind of stuff. Wonderful. So I'm thinking now even moving beyond like liturgical settings, however, um, how, might, uh, how might the arts help us to better engage uh, with our neighbors in the work that we're doing as a church? Well, one of the artists I've, I think of, I've become aware of, uh, of his work recently, but it's Marcos Ramirez Ere, and uh, he was an artist born in Tijuana, and uh, he, is, um, he started off in the construction business, so he came uh, later in his uh, 20s to the art world. Uh, he immigrated in 1983 to the United States and, uh, and worked for 17 years in the construction industry, but while he was, he was there, he kind of caught the bug and started creating and he's he's been creating all sorts of uh, installations and uh, and uh, two-dimensional artwork as well but uh, we had a picture if you could do a if um, if Casey could help us with a, a screen share we had um, a picture I wanted to show you of his and uh, that would be here it is and this is uh Maybe not perfectly clear, but I think it's interesting. Done in sort of a camouflage uh, perspective, he's uh, he's created a, a representation of the dividing line between Mexico and the United States, and where we see uh, so many uh, hopes represented and people want to that want to cross the border. We see uh, fears represented there about uh, changing society and an influx of immigrants. And uh, I think that, uh, so he's wrestling with these themes and trying to find visual expression. So I think that's very interesting. And that it ends up looking like a camouflage or a flak jacket, doesn't it? But uh, yeah, so that is uh, the work of uh, Marcos Ramirez Ere and uh, appreciating him. He'll be uh, the juror for uh, a show coming up at the, um, at the Ridley Tree Museum at uh, Westmont College in their museum of art. So it'd be interesting to see what he, what he uh, accepts into the show and uh, the, what that exhibition is going to end up looking like. 
So I think a, a work like this sort of, uh, yeah, here's, a, here's another one. This one is one of mine. And uh, I don't know if I shared this with you, uh, Dia, but uh, this is a, a collage piece. And I find inspiration from uh, folks like Robert Rauschenberg and uh, sort of creating non-art in quotes, but uh, he's finding uh, utility and, and beauty and expressiveness in just the found object. And I like to incorporate it with uh, some amount of painting just putting paint onto, onto the object or onto a two-dimensional object, uh, maybe a canvas. But uh, this is a collage piece and you'll see uh, I'm incorporating part of a, of a painter's palette on here. And there's a old photo of Humphrey Bogart along with uh, stenciled letters and, uh, and then with caps from, and I think this is kind of an ironic statement towards the painting process itself. And Dia has, rec has recognized that in the painting process, there's, there's always an accidental element. That we don't know exactly what it's gonna produce. In some ways, this is more of a modernist mindset that you incorporate accidents right into the piece, but uh, you end up finding resolution in it. And maybe this reflects a little bit of that home away and home again sort of uh, mentality in the process itself of creating art. So uh, I think a, a piece like this uh, is, is maybe gonna need interpretation. And for me, it's a parallel to word and sacrament that most people need a little bit of a, of a help about the artist's intentions. And so I like to be able to explicate and not necessarily uh, interpret everything, leave some ambiguity and mystery. But uh, for me, that's one of the reasons I've used to foreign languages that I've worked with, whether it's Spanish or French or German. And so here it says, Ich weiß wohl, was ich für Gedanken über. And it's, I remember these things. Uh, so it is uh, from the prophet Jeremiah and remembering the Lord's goodness in a time of crisis. So you'll, you'll perceive in there uh, a cross or a crucifix that our Lord was effaced himself for the sins of the world. And this represents the streams of his blood that covers our chaos and darkness. And even a suggestion of a curtain being drawn back that this is the apocalyptic sub of God, the um, opening up of his revolution to express uh, his saving intent in redemption history. So here's another one yet. Yeah, this is, uh, uh, shows some uh, imagery from Switzerland. You can see uh, a castle on a hill and lower down right in front of the viewer are, are grapes representing the vine. And uh, in this picture, it even spells out Christ. And, and so I'm trying to um, just sort of juggle these themes and find that when you, you look, you begin to find expressions of the Lord, even in his uh, creation. And certainly in, in the, the proclamation of the church. So I think maybe I have one more. And uh, I guess that's it. I was losing count there. And, uh, but, um, yeah, so wanted to share that with you. Thanks for thanks for letting me do that. Oh, thank you, thank you, Randy, for sharing. Dia for churches, uh, local leaders. Uh, how how can they be? Uh, again, I don't want to use the word utilize. How can they be joining um, with what <laughs> what God's what God revealing God's self through the arts? What was the word you used before? It was really good. Right after utilize, I can't remember. It was it was like spot on though. Man. I forgot. Integrate? I don't know. Integrate. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, Nick, that's it. 
Um, so a couple of things, and I want to touch on one of the statements you made just before you post this last question about, um, about art, because what we were starting to get to um, is this sense of embodiment, right? And so one of the, I won't call it an issue, but one of the things, concerns that I have regarding the church today is that there are certain practices that we have that really, um, they remove us from a sense of practicality and they remove us from a sense of groundedness and embodiment. But what the arts are able to do is to help us find that middle ground. So you do have the sort of transcendent and you do have the abstract and the sort of um, uh, embodiment of metaphor symbolism, but then also you have the material itself, right? You have the physical things that you're touching or hearing or smelling, whatever the art form might be. And so I find an art and a really beautiful synergy and a really beautiful um, connection between the transcendent and the material. And it helps us become more embodied because we can do those liturgical practices like what you were talking about that you did with your community. They can remind us that we are also spiritual and physical at the same time and, and provide a common ground. Um, and so for me, that connects to your question about connecting with um, those outside of the church for missional purposes, right? This is something that I feel like a lot of artists, this is stereotypical, this is like a general statement, so take it with a grain of salt, but I feel like artists outside the church maybe do this a little bit better in terms of connecting with the public, in terms of connecting with people who believe differently than they do, because sometimes within the church we're way too insular, like we really focus on our own symbols, we focus on um, our own uh, language, Christianese, right? Who else understands that except for us, right? But we use it all the time as if it's, um, something accessible to everyone when in actuality it's not. Even though a lot of, um, there are a lot of, um, there's a lot of within language that does stem from Christianity and a lot of people do understand references but they can't quite grasp the meaning behind certain things that we're saying, right? Mm -hmm. And so art is a way for us to, um, if we're willing, it's a way for us to be hospitable. Um, again, art is common ground. Anybody can find a sort of connection with a piece of art that they are drawn into by, and it doesn't matter if it's Christian and its roots or not, right? If it's something that they can connect with, then they're intrigued. And so that naturally creates a space for people to at least be willing to have a conversation. Um, but again, I see artists outside of the church do this better, where they allow the artwork to kind of do its own thing, stand on its own, have the conversation with those who are interacting with it without trying to force an agenda necessarily. They may not, they may, um, they may not deny that there is an agenda. Maybe some artists don't claim to have an agenda, but they may not deny that there is an agenda, but they allow it to do its own breathing room. They allow it to do its own work. And I feel that um, a lot of artists within the church can take note of that how to let the artwork just do its thing for a while before trying to um, draw people into your circle or to force a language on them. Maybe they're not ready for it. Maybe the artwork is a, a way for them to be introduced to something and be okay with that just being what it is. And when they're ready and they wanna learn more, then they will naturally seek out those within the church who have the knowledge that, that they are looking for. I think we just, um, we try to get people into our clubs too much, right? And people, um, especially today, and I would say my generation and younger, we really don't necessarily always like to be tied to just one particular club. We're kind of fluid in a lot of ways. We like to be able to touch on a lot of different places and then kind of uh, form our own structures. And I know um, 
sometimes people kind of buck against that because you know you want to say I'm with this group but we don't necessarily like those labels you know whether it be political or religious we don't necessarily want to be tied down even there are a lot of artists who don't want to be called a certain type of artist they just want to say I just make right and so I think people within the church being able to uh, be okay with some of that fluidity would go a long way actually and would demonstrate a sense of hospitality doesn't mean that people won't eventually um, choose to connect with uh, Christian denominations or Christian churches, but it's just that the pathway may be a little bit different than what it might have looked like some years ago. I remember when we uh, created the Atwater Art Walk, is something uh, that we did with Northland Village Church. We did this thing for multiple years where uh, we took in art from the neighborhood and then posted the art um, everywhere around the neighborhood in all these different businesses and this like kind of centered strip and then whatever there's like musicians everywhere and dance everywhere um, and the kind of the center of it was um, to have the art share part of your story and something that we did was a little controversial with the artist was you had to actually write a paragraph about what this art is telling about your story which obviously those Enneagram 4 artists didn't necessarily love that, that very much but it did help other people understand what was happening who aren't, weren't used to the arts. So um, yeah. we, did, we did this, literally thousands of people. And do you want to know how many people ever connected with our church as a result of those efforts? Maybe one. <laughs> Maybe two. But, but here's the thing. Um, what we quickly learned to embrace in our super post-Christian setting was the importance of, of, of the shalom of our neighborhood. Mm. of creating a good space for, for it was good for our neighborhood and our neighborhood was better for it and in the end I think people ended up really uh, under, gathering a deeper missiological understanding of God um, through those efforts mm. uh, and so certainly so certainly another way we can participate in the shalom of the city also with the mission of God um, which is deeply intertwined with with justice mm. uh, and how art has done its job for thousands of years of promoting equity amongst uh, in places where equity isn't realized. So all that said, in your experiences, and I know Randy, you already shared some art that was accomplishing that. Um, if we take kind of this intersection of great art and we intersect it with the church and we put one more line through that and we start talking about justice in the arts and church, Again, maybe um, let's let's start, uh, if you want to, we can start a little more ethereal and then move it to the ground for local pastors and what they might be doing mm. with that. Um, but yeah, from, from what do you see as, as, as a theology of this intersection? Um, and, and then let's get to how this might get embodied in our different churches. Well, if, uh, is that okay if I jump in? Yeah. The, um... I would say I liked uh, Dia. You're talking about embodiment. Uh, that's uh, that's very articulate. Uh, it, it seems to me that as a theology, uh, one starting place would be as we talk about the threefold Word of God. It, it comes to us in the form that is Jesus Christ, as the Word of God, as as the the Bible, scripture, scripture, as the written Word of God, and it comes in the preaching as the the declared Word of God, and. There are times when I have thought, who am I to declare God's word this morning to stand up here as a, 
as uh, a mediator of some kind or as a as a lifting up the prophetic word. But uh, God carry, gives this treasure in earthen vessels. And so the as uh, is, is we are being true to scripture and lifting up Christ, the incarnate word, we really are actually speaking God's word. And I would say that can, that can hold true for the arts as well. That can be God's word expressed or elucidated for his people. It, we always want to hold that intention, it seems to me, with the, uh, the uh, revealed word of God is uh, in the apostolic witness of scripture. And that's, after all, what a, what a, a sacrament is. So a sacrament is more than simply a, a cup of wine or juice and a piece of bread or a loaf of bread, but there's blessedness just in the wine and juice and the bread. Already there's blessedness in water, but see, it becomes sacramental when that's, uh, when that's exposited by the word of God. And I, I would think that art can play that same kind of role in a church that as we, as we, don't feel the need to explain everything. Sometimes we put it out there and simply let people live with that and that tension. But there are times where we want to, we want to point to what this is pointing to and say, you experience God through these elements. The elements in a sense are not an end in themselves. Amen, very well said, Randy. Yeah, how about for you? When we intersect justice with this, what, what initial theologies, ideas, thoughts come out for you? <laughs> so many. And we, do, and we do have some Dia fans here who want to see some of your art, so feel free to share some of that as well. I will have to share. Um, I will say first, though, um, I think this question of justice is an interesting one today, um, not just because of what we're dealing with as a, I was going to say a country, but <laughs> as the entire world is dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the challenges that I sometimes pose to Christian leaders is to really think about um, if you know anything about the history of art, right? If you know anything about uh, what was happening with the early Christians, if you know anything about uh, early religious art, think about the stories that were shared in that artwork, right? So when people were creating artworks of like biblical narratives and they were demonstrating um, the crucifixion or they were demonstrating um, different forms of early Christian life, there was always some sort of, I won't say always, but there was often um, a connection to um, the government of that day, just because of, if you understand Jesus' message, right, everything that he was doing was setting up an alternative form of being to the sort of governmental structures and rigors of that day, right? So even from our early roots as Christians and bringing in the arts, there was always this sort of dance between politics and religion. And Jesus' very life was um, an embodiment of that dance, right? It was always about Jesus coming um, into being an, against those forces of um, political structures and institutions and religious structures and institutions that were basically um, oppressing the people, right? So in Jesus' very being, you see the intersection of justice, art, religious faith. There is no separation. And I would I would say that for a lot of people, um, specifically people of color, there isn't always that distinction between art, religion, and faith. 
it, it's all jumbled together, right? And so even if you go all the way back from, um, this is like late 1800s, early 1900s for African-American artists, um, when they were trying to tell their stories, inevitably this question of justice would be in the art. It wasn't because they had necessarily um, political claims to make, it's because they wanted to be true to where they were located. They wanted to be true to what they were experiencing. And they also wanted to be true to other visions outside of just what they were feeling as a, an oppressed people, right? And so a lot of times for a lot of people of color, there's no distinction. That's not to say that um, every person of color is only making works of art that deal with themes of politics or government or justice, right? That's not necessarily the case, but often a lot of times if you are looking at a body of work for from an artist of color, there's often this sort of theme present, not because they have a political statement, but because that's just what they're living. And so I, I often challenge a lot of people in the church to, um, to recognize that there is no distinction between your faith and your politics and your religion. Obviously, yes, on some levels there are distinctions, but a lot of times what we're trying to do is to think about how is what is being created actually reflecting and embodying and bettering uh, everyday life. It's not a, a, like a social justice, social healing kind of thing. It's not a hat that a lot of people put on. It's just inside their very beings. And so that's something that I, I like to challenge a lot of church leaders with. If, if it's something that they're just adding to the agenda, then something is being missed. It's not an agenda item. This should be in your everyday sort of walk and play and talk and, and gathering and ways of being um, as a, a community, as a body of people, because for a lot of other people, this is just the norm. And so if we are you know, reflecting one another, if we are um, a full body um, living this thing out together, pursuing Jesus, then we should be uh, including that. It should be uh, embedded into what we are doing. But all that to say, I would love to share some of my artwork. Most people, um, they know me from my paintings, but I'm actually going to share something a little different just to mix it up. I wanted to share a little bit of, about my, um, my practice with tax, textiles and fabrics, because for me, this is the most direct way that I sort of embody um, the intersections of art and faith and I always speak about social healing rather than justice and the reason being is because I my I think each person has a role to play when about matters of uh, social well-being um Nick I love when you said the shalom of your neighborhood right like when we're seeking the shalom of our neighborhood our city our state our country the world um, I think each person has a very particular role to play and I do find that my role is more so that of healer rather than, um, I may not be on every front line, I may not be a participant in every single protest, I will be part of some protests, but not every single one. I may not be the one who is um, trying to get different forms of legislation passed necessarily, even though I may sign a document, but I may not necessarily be at the forefront of that, but where I do find my role is that of healer and that of um, inspire, <laughs> if I wanna use that word. I'm, I'm more so the one who is going to help us to look at um, traumatic wounds and try to help us to process what we've experienced, especially, especially people of color, um, because a lot of that trauma is um, still living in our bodies. Uh, and you'll hear a lot of authors writing about this right now, but I, I try to find like tactile ways for people to deal with really difficult, challenging um, 
embedded emotions, like you'll hear people talk about generational trauma, and that's a very real thing that a lot of people deal with. It doesn't necessarily have, only have to be people of color, but um, for the purposes of this conversation, um, a lot of people of color are dealing with generational trauma. And so what I try to do is to help to uh, first help people to visualize what that trauma might look like and then help us to find processes to, uh, to move beyond that and into healing. So I'll talk a lot about social healing. Um, so I do a lot of work with textiles and fabrics. Um, these pieces take such a long time um, as is evidenced in this piece here. Um, so this whole series is called Relics and Ruins. And this is all hand embroidered. So it took me, took me a long, long time to do this. Um, but what I'm doing here um, is that I am doing my best to make visible something that is invisible. So even in my paintings, you'll see a lot of, um, a lot of sort of organic shapes, a lot of cellular structures, just because I'm really fascinated by this idea of small little tiny things adding up to become something larger. I'm really fascinated with the beginnings of things and fascinated with the inception of something. And so that's a, a recurring theme in any kind of artwork that I'm doing. But for this piece in particular, I was really, um, or really the series focused a lot on memory, focusing a lot on the gaps within uh, specifically black American um, history of memory. And some of our cultural stories were either destroyed or lost, you know, with everything going on with the early, um, early sort of decades of the slave trade, a lot of what makes us us was sort of jumbled up and lost. So I, I, I was thinking a lot about um, how something is forming, but there's a big chunk missing. Um, but that doesn't necessarily have to mean that um, what exists isn't necessarily complete. So I'm playing a lot with these themes and you'll see the same kind of theme running through this piece as well. Um, and these are just, this one in particular is a natural fiber and I'm, I'm just playing with the textures I'm unraveling things I'm thinking about how to put them together. Um, and this next piece will really demonstrate that. So again, playing with this idea of fabric um, and how it holds some of our memories and beginning to deteriorate these fabrics, but not leaving things in a, in a state of deterioration, but thinking about how do you begin to reassemble something. So this piece is called patterns and fragments, right? So you have these fragments that have been sort of frayed, but then you begin to structure them in a way where um, something new can begin to emerge. And so it's the idea, um, and I, I love the scripture about how God is able to literally take everything that we're doing and, and work it to our good, right? It's like idea that nothing is wasted, even if something seems to be missing or something seems to be um, out of sorts, nothing is wasted, right? It can all come together to form some sort of good whole. And so I cling to that. Um, I, I study it, I, I pray about it, and I, I marvel at it. I marvel at how God is able to take um, a very broken history and begin to reassemble. If you look at uh, our country today, even with all of its flaws, think about people of color in their communities and how they have managed to flourish in some areas despite everything that has happened, you know, not just Black American history, even with everything going on in the Asian American community today, look and think about how um, they have managed in spite of. It doesn't mean that we are where we need to be. It doesn't mean that it is enough, but even still, there is still life. And that is because of the goodness of God and how God has carried us through and is able to um, make something out of a lot of horror, a lot of pain, a lot of craziness. <laughs> so that's just a little bit about um, my practice. And I wanted to share that because I, I don't, 
share my fabric pieces as often. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that doing that. That was a long that. answer yeah. to your question. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I just feel like I just went to church. It was great. I love it. Thank you for that. Um, we, we do need to wrap up our time here. So uh, I'm wondering uh, if you all might be able to share uh, where people can get a hold of you. I know you both um, support many people in many different places um, with your expertise. So uh, if anyone listens to this and they'd like to contact you for whatever, a new friend or coaching or consulting or uh, whatever it may be, um, how can they contact you? Well, I can be contacted at the... Um... I'm, I'm redesigning a website now, so that's that's not currently available, but I can be contacted at the Acton Community Presbyterian Church, and uh, that would be a great place to get in touch. And uh, and I, I would just say that, uh, and your statement was powerful, Dia, and I, I really thank you for that. Um, and my, my daughter is helping me with some of these issues, too, that uh, I have a daughter who's a historian at uh, the University of Oxford, and she has worked in the areas of... Uh, indigenous uh, peoples and the, the English settling of the, of the, um, the Virginia colony. And uh, uh, she has helped me see that I think a lot of the justice making in our churches is uh, a question of uh, whose voice do we have? Who can define the story? And that we as Christians want to empower all of God's people, indeed, uh, indeed anybody, all people is created in the image of God and their intrinsic dignity to be able to express their story. And for, we need to hear that in, in fresh ways, I think, today. So, so that's, uh, yeah, that's really helpful to me, Dia. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that, Randy. And Dia, where can people get a hold of you if they'd like to get a hold of you? Sure. Thanks so much, Randy, for your comment. Really appreciate that. Um, so I have a personal website, diajenkins.com. Um, you can also check out Dia Studios with an S at the end, diastudios.com. If you want to see our creative agency and our work. Um, and then on Instagram, uh, it's at dia.artist and at dia.studios, again, with an S at the end. Well, what a gift it's been. So amazing that our little presbytery gets to connect with people like you all. So thank you for your time. Um, thank you for all the ways uh, that you, again, just continue to lead people and encourage people in this direction. And uh, to the people that are here, to the people that are listening later, thanks for joining the PSF Strategy Webinar. We hope that you'll join the next one. And until then, hope you have a great afternoon. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. As we wrap up this time together, I would like to express our gratitude on behalf of the team and the people of the San Fernando Presbytery. My prayer is that it might have been helpful to you. I would like to also invite you to comment, give us some feedback, and perhaps even like this podcast or share it uh, with uh, people that you know so that we may be able to continue making it available to others. Thank you so much, and God bless you.